I just hit record, by the way. Everybody gets silent as soon as you say that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I called you the other day, man. I was just checking in on you. Everything going well? It is, yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry I didn't call you back. My, I mean, my last month has been really packed, as you can imagine. There's just a lot of stuff going on. Wrapping up POV ideation course last week. We've got the company-wide meetings this week, and I've got some nonprofit stuff that's going to wrap up on Thursday. TLC is going to dominate next week, so it's my days are pretty packed. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. You you need any help? I don't think so. I think it's just executing here. People are just starting to freak out and say, "Oh my gosh, you're gone!" I've been telling you that every week for the past six weeks, and it's just now hitting. It's now real for folks, which makes sense. I mean, they're not really paying attention to my sabbatical, but now everybody's trying to get time before I go. And I'm like, you can try, but best thing will be send me a Slack message and I'll do my best to respond asynchronously. So we'll see. Yeah. All right. I'm excited for you, man. It's going to be fun. My kids are too, which is the probably one of the best parts about it. We've got it on the calendar. Yeah. We've been counting down to it and counting the days to the different trips and stuff like that. And Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. It's a We've been doing thing. something similar. Yeah. 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 Very cool. Igor, what's new with you, dude? What's new? I'm trying to take some time off before you go on sabbatical, Robert. And I'm trying oh, to decide right. whether I should do one week or two weeks. Usually two. I really want to do two. I'll cover for you. We're yeah, good. Really? It won't add to your pre sabbatical stress. I don't think so. All right. I don't think so. I'm going to try to <clears throat> tick and tie all the things that need to be tick and tied so you're not left holding a weird bag for two weeks while I'm out. But yeah, yeah like, I don't then, even know what I'm going to do. I just feel like I need that time off. Yeah. Yeah. I think you should, man. And that way you're take a step back, get refreshed a little bit. Richard's coming back to cover, to help with a few projects. And so he'll be around. And when is Richard back? May. Oh, he's 20th. back in May? Nice. May I thought he wanted to be back till later. No. The week of May 16th, he is back. So I already have a bunch of stuff on his calendar for <laughs> transition. All the handoff stuff? Yeah. Yeah. It'll be good you, to have Richard back. If you I'm could excited. be back by the 16th, then... Well, I was going to take off because I feel like I can't take off until after we do all that like account stuff. Oh, yeah. When is that? It's on the 12th and the 13th. So I was going to mm -hmm. take off the week of the 16th and the 23rd. Okay. Could you do the 23rd and 30th? Sure. Okay. That would be easier on me because that whole week we could transition then and make sure you're around for that. And then Richard's there to help cover while you're out as well. And then... Yeah. And that, I get to take one less day off or something because Monday's yeah. a holiday. Yeah. And then I'm really out in earnest on the 6th. And so... Oh, okay. I got it. All that would all that would be fine. Yeah. Okay. That's what I'll plan for then. Yeah. I'll just plan for that right now. Just make sure the SOWs are submitted before you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, yeah, please. Um, that, yeah, we're not talking about that's that. A, that's a source spot. We <laughs> should cut this out for sure. Do you want to? <laughs> do you want to wrap up Trillion Dollar Coach Chapter Two, <laughs> yeah. Part Thirty? Yeah, we should. <laughs> this is the longest we've talked about a chapter, like a single chapter. It, it's a dense chapter. There's a lot yeah. in there. We did okay. So we're yeah, very dense chapter. We're, we have four in the books. This is episode sixty-two. There was something, Charles, that you said you wanted to talk about last time. So there's a few things at the end we haven't covered. Like mm. managing difficult people. What else is there? Having fun. Treating people well. The aberrant genius. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's, I remember that from last time, yeah. yeah. 
which I really don't know what that means. So I just replace it with difficult people in my head. Well, it's a more positive, optimistic spin on difficult people. Yeah. Well, and there's a, a the other end of the coin, which is they have to be worth it, right? Yeah. Do you tolerate the star players' behavioral issues if they're producing on the field? Mm-hmm. That's a hard decision to make. Do you tolerate toxic team members when they're also not performing well and they're not effective in their role? That's a much easier discussion, right? Yeah, I think, though, toxic people, though, it's separate from aberrant genius. Like They're not two sides of the same coin. They can, right? You can have just purely Mm. toxic people who are not aberrant geniuses. Those you should just jettison immediately. That's, to me, that's a, you got to root that stuff out fast. Uh, Yeah. But if there is aberrant genius, then it's a, okay, are they in the right role? How can you position them to leverage their super spikiness to to be effective while minimizing difficulty for the team. But okay. at least that's how I'm thinking about distinguishing. Well, I just the found difference. the highlight. So yeah, it's a aberrant. That's how you say it. I don't, I don't even, what does that word mean? I don't even know. I think that's like Is uncommon. That, like it's aberration. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. I was thinking abhor as the root word. That's not what he's saying. Oh though. yeah, no. Okay. Aberrant, departing from an accepted standard. Ah, oh, that makes much more sense. Okay. That is completely framed wrong in my head. All right, this is what it says. Aberrant geniuses, high-performing but difficult team members, should be tolerated and even protected as long as their behavior isn't unethical or abusive and their value outweighs the toll their behavior takes on management, colleagues, and teams. So we're in a risk zone right here. This is really, this is a gray space. And each leader probably has to determine their own assessment I mean, that, that's a purely subjective thing. It's okay, does their benefit outweigh the risk or the harm? It's like there's no quantification of that. Each leader has to develop their own kind of spidey sense for that and also have the right feedback loops in place to gather sentiment and input from others in order to make that call and also do that on an ongoing basis. And you can't just decide it once. It's like, all right, it's worth it. And then never revisit that again. It's got to be some sort of feedback loop to... Yes. Monitor and manage that over time, which I think is the hardest part, right? Because you can't take your eye off of them for too long, you know, because it could quickly spiral out of control sort of thing. Man, you've hit on a couple just gold nuggets there. One thing I want to tee up for y'all, and I've been struggling on this as well, is decisions that we make, paths we go down, we should almost always be attaching a time frame to them. If you're giving someone an exception to a rule, if you're saying, I'm going to tolerate this team member, if you're saying, I'm going to take my career in this direction, if you're saying, I want to focus on this priority, critical decisions, key decisions, impactful decisions, it's almost like put something on your calendar two, three, five months in the future and revisit it. I think too many times it's like once the decision's made, it's okay, that's the forever direction. And Mm -hmm. we don't come back and reassess. Yeah, Is this still the direction we went ahead in, even though it was when we started? Yeah, I like it. It's kind of like the useful life of a decision. Oh, that's good. If you decision journal at all, which we've talked about before. I don't know if we've talked about it on an episode. And yeah, jot down like what is the useful life of a decision? Yeah, everything works that way in life. So maybe a future episode that I wanted to tee up. But I loved what you said also about balance. And if an ongoing negotiation between you and the environment like, is this worth it? What do you need to rein in? We do that 
internally too, like on our performance reviews, we have people who are real spiky and we're trying to mitigate the downside or the other edge of the sword mm-hmm. that makes them so good at what they're doing. And then it's, well, we're not, are we asking this person to fundamentally change how they operate, who they are? Or are we trying to mitigate the downside? Like what's the balance? It's definitely not an easy problem to solve. Yeah. I think it's, I like the framing of aberrant genius versus just difficult team member because I think it's easy as a leader to, because we all have a negativity bias, just in general. It's just like a cognitive bias that we have, whether you're a leader or not, to see the negatives. And so I think it's easy for humans to just write those people off. Eh, not worth it. No, it's too difficult. It's, I, it's too hard to manage a team that has a aberrant genius. And so they don't figure out a way to tap into that genius. And so and a lot, it's just not, it's not fair to those individuals to just let that negativity bias give you an easy out. This, man, this might be the hardest thing that leaders have to do, you know, is just manage these aberrant geniuses on a team. Maybe I'm being too dramatic, as my kids would say. They say that quite a bit about things that I say sometimes. That like, you're oh, dramatic? You're being, you're being overly <laughs> dramatic, Daddy. <laughs> being overly dramatic. Oh, okay. <laughs> what do you think, That's not, the, not in the top 10 words I'd use to describe you. Charles. Yeah, I wouldn't think dramatic. so. Dramatic. You know, yeah. <laughs> it's hard for me because I have a soft spot for the aberrant genius. And so I think... Well, you are the aberrant genius. I, I don't know if that's, I don't know if that's <laughs> true or good, if that is true. I think it's um, true. And, but I definitely know I have a soft spot for that sort of person. And so my risk is having a blind side, which tolerates, I would say, negative behavior more than what my team has capacity to tolerate and letting that get away from me. And so I'm grateful that I at least have that sort of awareness, but it's still a blind spot because I just like odd people. And these aberrant geniuses tend to be pretty odd folks and they tend to be pretty interesting. And I I have a personality that will like look away from the roughness. So that's my take on it is I'm weary of it because I know it's a blind spot. I would say, Igor, you are on closer to the aberrant genius side of the spectrum than not. That was before Robert said it. I was like, oh, Igor, you are one of those aberrant geniuses. And so, yeah, I don't, yeah, know, if I don't, know, I don't know how to take that. <laughs> I, and I, and, and, As a compliment. And I do, I do know that I have like a detracting behaviors, right, that, that come with that, that I've had to learn how to manage and I'm still learning how to manage others that I uncover or still haven't gotten under control. But also there's a balance there because if you control too many of them, like the stuff that makes you aberrant goes away, right? It's it's a balanced thing. Yeah. Yeah, I do like how it says in the chapter, it's okay as long as her behavior is in the service or intended to be in the service of the good of the company, of the good of the team. When it can't be tolerated is when the aberrant genius continually puts him or herself above the team, right? So yes. I think that's a good way to think about it. A- absolutely. Yeah, somebody that like wants all the accolades, wants all the awards and praise and all that sort of stuff and doesn't share with the team, regardless if they've had an outsized contribution or not. Most things we do, we still do as a team. And so that can become very problematic if they are selfish. And there's a difference between the home run hitter who 
home run hitters tend to strike out more because they're really aiming for the fences, and maybe that's okay. When the game's on the line, they're probably the one you want at the plate. But also had plenty of, I don't know what the term would be, but it's I'm smarter than everyone and I know it, and therefore I'm entitled to things that no one else is entitled to. That's much different. Like there is a high performance like prerequisite here, an effectiveness prerequisite that will translate into tolerating some of that behavior over others. Well, and, and, and Igor, you are definitely not the selfish, aberrant genius that is probably more harmful than good that they describe. And that makes all the difference. I like how they talk about, hey, the best way to deal with aberrant geniuses is through coaching. It's hard to coach aberrant geniuses, but the coachee, so in this case, the aberrant genius has to be intrinsically motivated to get better, like to manage their detracting behaviors and love their spikiness for the greater good. And that, I mean, that's for sure. It's like you certainly have a desire to grow and to not lose your identity and your strengths, but also to direct them in an appropriate way for the benefit of our clients and our company. And uh, anyway, you're an aberrant genius, a good one that's absolutely worth keeping around. (laughs) I hope you feel that way. (laughs) Yes. Uh, Yeah. I mean, without acknowledging the label or whatever, I, uh, there, there was a, like a breaking point for me, like where I would ignore a lot of my mentor's advice. And I hit like this, like rock bottom point. And me and my mentor had a one-on-one. There's a little breakfast place or something like that near. And like, he just asked me a question in that one-on-one and it just completely changed my relationship with him and listening to his advice and how he frames things. And so that was pretty transformational, but it it took a pretty hard hit on the chin to get to that point for me, which is probably not good, but yeah, I'm better off for it now. What was the question? He asked me, Igor, who do you think your client is? And I thought I had an answer. And but when I like when he challenged me and I really thought about it, I was like, okay. Because I always thought if you asked me like, hey, who your client is, I would say the name of the company for whom I'm consulting. And then he was like, Are you sure that's who your client is? And I like really had to think about that. Yeah, I do think there is something to be said for Charles to your point of coaching and there's a, round, a rounding out of rough edges or whatever you want to call it that as part of the balance, the, I think the aberrant genius behavior be, can become more sophisticated over time where you can eke out the benefits of that behavior and the genius while mitigating some of the downside and choosing when to not just reflexively behaving the same way every time, but helping with some, I don't know, discernment maybe is the right call of here's times to flex into that space. Here's times where maybe it doesn't make sense and you're just swimming against the current. I could see that as an ongoing discussion as well as the decision on whether or not to continue to tolerate that behavior or things like that. I still think you give feedback though. Hey, in this situation, you did this, you said this. Here's the impact. Like you can't unplug that either. Yeah, absolutely not. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm starting to wonder what percentage of the population are aberrant geniuses and see if it's i'm trying to think about i've been thinking a lot about diversity and inclusion and part of the work that i'm doing with a nonprofit, they're trying to educate us on what inclusivity looks like and i was just thinking in my head it's like what if you viewed everybody on your team as an aberrant genius or maybe they have the potential to be 
aberrant geniuses. Is that the right mental model for you as a leader to think about? Is that I, I, I don't think Bill Campbell would say that. Bill Campbell would say, hey, no, this is reserved for the rare exception. At least that's the tone that I get when talking about aberrant geniuses. But I, I wonder if everybody on the team would be better off if the leader had a more inclusive mental model about that. Because really, okay, let me take a step back. When I think about the advice for aberrant genius, it makes me think, it's like, hey, just because I see detracting behavior doesn't mean that I pull the ripcord and that this person is no good. And so now I need to really seek to understand what are their strengths, you know, what what needs to change to allow them to more fully leverage their strengths and work with them to minimize the the damage. That's just good advice in general, if you think about it, just for everybody. And for some people, maybe there is never any damage. And so it's just really easy and you can really lean into the, hey, let's fully uncover what your strengths are and lean into those. And I don't know, I guess I'm having a hard time thinking about the advice that they give in the book on how to manage aberrant geniuses and not see how that's good. That's a good idea for everybody on the team. Does that make sense? What I'm saying? Yeah, what I'm I, about? I, I think if you're the type of leader manager that sees potential in all of the people that you work with, then I think it's much easier for you to frame things that way. And, but I think if you're a leader or manager who has <clears throat> maybe a slightly more like a fixed mindset about people's abilities and their opportunities to grow, maybe that's a little bit harder for you to sort of make that connection. So I think because you have a growth mindset, Charles, that's why you can connect, connect that way because everybody's a genius at something or has the potential to be a genius at something. Yeah. I'll tell you though, I, even though I feel like I, I, I wish I could say that I fully embody this belief that everybody has potential to be great. I know I'm not consistent in that in terms of how I deal with team members if I think about my past. And so because it's really definitely hard room for because in the short term yeah. it's really frustrating when people are performing. Yeah. And you're like, gosh, I really this needs to happen or mm-hmm. and when it's not happening, it's frustrating for you because you want results. It's also frustrating for you because you want this person to be good, right? You want Mm -hmm. them to be performing, to feel good about themselves and those things. So in the moment, it's really hard. You have to like continuously stop yourself and reframe. Well, and I think in that moment, you have to make a call on, am I willing to sacrifice short-term performance for longer-term gains and improvement over time? That's the trade-off that as a leader, you have to make in those situations. It's like, all right, what's best for this person in terms of their growth over time versus the needs of the the project right now and finding a balance there. Yeah. I, I do think there's a diversity and inclusion component for the first part of it to Charles, which I think a lot of people that we would label aberrant are probably non-neurotypical. Mm-hmm. And so... Mm-hmm. That sort of like neurodiversity and inclusion on the team. What does yeah. this work look like if you have attention deficit disorder or anxiety disorder or something else, right? Yep. Yep. Yeah. And some, sometimes those folks are like not fun to work with. Like really, <laughs> there's some like pretty challenging times, both for you as a manager, but then also for the team to like process some of the distraction or some of the negative yeah. effects of that diversity on the team 
And so that's probably what you're balancing too, right? Is like the, are the negative feelings and the distractions on balance? Are they worth having a neural diversity, like inclusive environment or something like that? Yeah. 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 I think there's, as a leader, there's never anything wrong with trying to understand what your team members want and what they need. You can always fall back on that because I think in the book, they talk about maybe looking for win-wins. It's like, hey, understand what drives the aberrant genius. And a lot of those times, it's like ego, self-promotion, those things that to the extreme we'd view as being selfish. You know? But leaders have to have a degree of ego and self-promotion in, in order to be, maybe in order to desire to rise to a level of leadership. And it's also interesting, too, because th those things are probably tied to venturing into the psychology space to the narcissism spectrum. If you think about where people fall there, just because you're a narcissist doesn't mean you're pathological. Right? There's probably high functioning narcissists out there in leadership positions that are great and wonderful people to work for. But then there's other narcissists that are not, <laughs> that you don't want as a leader, that you don't want on, te on a team. And that's, I think that's where, at least for me, there, there's a little bit of tension around, hey, fully embrace this growth mindset. And yet there are certain boundaries and edge conditions where it's like, nope. Yeah, sure. M maybe a narcissist who, you know, has an ego and is focused on self-promotion to the point of detriment to the team that may maybe they can grow over time to contain that. But it may not be worth it. It, may, it might not be at a time scale that is viable, I guess, for the team or the company or the group that, that they're a part of. Yeah, this thing has some layers to it. I do like your idea, though, of there are certain uh, mental calculations going on here on the part of the leader around the team and performance and feedback and coaching that I think you're probably doing with everybody, I think, to your point, Charles. And it's interesting to think about like potential and assuming that everyone has growth potential into the high performer. Because I guess you would just have, you would just call the person a high performer if they weren't, if the downsides weren't yeah, yeah, to make yeah. them an aberrant genius, right? You would just, and so you the, just call, call them a genius, right? Yeah, a genius. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so I like the idea though of the those mechanics, those exercises, that, that calculation, whatever you want to call it, occurs across the team, there's just like this gray space though where you have to make tough decisions. If you're on one side where you have the high performer and there's not a lot of downside, which we've worked with plenty of people like that in our careers, then great. Then you're just trying to figure out how to help them move faster. They're on the opposite side where you have all the downside but none of the upside. That's easier as well. It's less fun. But I think when you're at the intersection of those two spaces is where things get a little dicey. Well, I don't know if they spoke about this in the book. Maybe y'all can comment on this, but at least in my experience, the challenge that I've felt at times or the tension that I felt at times is that managing aberrant geniuses require time and energy and effort. And at some points in time, it's just, I don't know if it's worth it. Like this time, energy, and effort, is it better spent on those non-apparent geniuses on the on just the geniuses or the hypos or maybe those people that are really struggling i've had to think about it. it's like where is my time energy and effort being spread across the team and it's like i can't sink too much of it into one person and 
that was really hard for me because it's like I, I'm a people pleaser by nature and I wish I could help everybody, but I can't. That's something I still wrestle with. There's just not enough time in the day to help everybody at all levels with everything that they want to work on and need to improve upon. I don't know if you all feel that, but a lot of times I just feel like I don't have enough time to yeah. get to my teammates. Yeah, that's where like the growth mindset hits the reality of a 24-hour day where you have to spend eight hours sleeping on leisure and, and those sort of things. And I mean, that's a really interesting struggle. Like, where do you invest that, the finite amount of time that you have? And at some point, yeah, if you're, if you're spending twice, <clears throat> twice the time on the aberrant genius, are you getting twice the benefit from spending that time versus somebody else on the team? The great struggle of management, I think. Sometimes I'm surprised why I wanted to be a leader. I don't even know if I would say I wanted to be a leader. I just think I found myself in management and leadership positions. But it's like, there is a lot of hard things, difficult decisions you have to make and hard calls and judgment calls. And there truly is no singular right answer. Yeah, and that's the, I guess, for those out there that are feeling a little bit maybe overwhelmed or discouraged, I think that's part of your progression as a leader is developing your own style, I guess. You've heard of people calling us, oh, you got to develop your own leadership style and approach, not just style, but style and approach. And uh, this is part of that, just getting comfortable with the fact that there, there are problems that we will encounter that we will not be able to solve, that are just unsolvable. And we've got to find a way to, to just manage that and move forward and not kill ourselves in the process. Which for me, at least, the only way to do that is, is by developing others around me to, to share the load, focusing on the next generation of leaders. And uh, we've got a great environment in our firm in which to do that. So it's, uh, that's pretty rewarding for me, uh, fulfilling. Yeah, you, that's a good as good a place as any to end. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I was about it's to It's like say. when you look fondly back on like college or something, like, man, life was so much simpler, Ben. Got to play pool a couple hours a day and I didn't have as nearly as much responsibility. There's certainly benefits. But yeah, I get what you're saying, though. Yeah. So yeah, let's end on that and then we'll, we'll go chapter three next time. Building an envelope of trust. Nice. Yeah, like chapter two. Excited. Yeah. Well, we, yeah, I mean, we may go back to it for nostalgia's sake. <laughs> the good old days. Yeah. The good old days. You remember we were in chapter two? Life was so much easier. Yeah. Awesome. Well, hey, it was great talking to you all today. Thanks for making time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, guys. Thanks, y'all. Yeah. Take care. Bye.